Welcome to Mayo Music. I am your host, Dan Pulaski. Mayo Music is an interview series where I chat with artists, musicians, and producers about their journeys in the music industry. Today I spoke with Prototype Raptor, an EDM producer who has been killing it on SoundCloud the last few years. He has nearly 100 sounds uploaded to his account and about 16,000 followers. In the interview, we discuss his journey on SoundCloud, starting with the very first tracks he uploaded. He talks about his creative process and the software he's using to create his sounds. And we also talk management, blogs, and he gives us a few tips on artist branding. Let's do it. All right. So, so looking at your SoundCloud, uh, you have currently have 97 sounds and just about 16,000 followers. So I kind of want to have you walk me through kind of your SoundCloud journey, if you will. Um, tell me about those first few tracks you put up there. I think it was we had Cheetah, Devil's Advocate, River Sticks. Uh, tell me about those and kind of what you were doing to promote those first tracks you put out. Yeah, so my SoundCloud journey has been a very like long one. And those first tracks, uh, I got started on a website called OC Remix, which primarily does like video game remixes. And so those were, I was just cross-posting. So I would post those tracks, and then I would put them up on SoundCloud. Because at the time, SoundCloud was kind of newish. Um, there weren't too many people that had transferred over. And I liked it as an alternative to YouTube. So I just kind of mirrored everything that I did um, elsewhere on the uh, Internet, including uh, Newgrounds, too. I had an account there a long time ago. And uh, I just kind of put that stuff on SoundCloud. I didn't really um, promote it. I never uh, really knew what I was doing <laughs> as far as the promoting marketing side. Mm -hmm. So those early days, it was really just to put it up there and see if anyone would hear it at all. I see. So, But it was, it was OC Remix where you were driving more of the traffic, I guess, to those tracks? Yes, definitely. The original... My original, I guess, fan base definitely stemmed out of my those video game remixes. That was where I announced my first album, Penultimate, and that was kind of where the groundwork was laid. I see, I see. Okay, and I now kind of, I guess, moving forward a little bit with your SoundCloud, I saw like the first track that really got, a, a, you know, a decent amount of attention on SoundCloud. I think was Vivaldi, uh, Winter. Yeah. Um, that one, it kind of you like jump from like a few thousand views up to like twenty plus um, thousand with that one. Tell tell me about that one a little bit. What did what did you do differently? And at that point, were you using SoundCloud as a um, were you, like were you driving traffic to your SoundCloud at that point as opposed to just cross posting? Yes, at that point, I was using SoundCloud more as a an actual I guess base platform. So after those original tracks, I started treating it more of a. Uh, I guess, a real social media platform and started getting more involved in it. And um, the Vivaldi track actually was one of the first ones that came out as a, uh, a real release. So it's on a label that came out on House Recordings. And um, so they definitely, like, they posted about it too. So I think there was just some curiosity uh, coming from their blogs and their, like, the label sites. And there were also, at that point, some YouTube videos that went up just... Um, promotional channels, that sort of thing that I had sent stuff off to that also posted it. And usually I would ask them to include the SoundCloud link. So I think a lot of traffic has come from that too. 
also, you have to remember those tracks have been around for like three plus years now. So those twenty thousand views were not even remotely where they were, you know, in the beginning. So I don't think any of those had more than you know five hundred plays when they were up, you know, for a year, you know, years. They just kind of languished. So it's definitely been a more of a snowball, slowly rolling type of thing. And now I just, it looks impressive. It looks. Uh huh. So so even th- with the promotion through the label, those only hit you know five hundred, you know, in the hundreds, you know, after a couple months or so. Yes. Okay. I would say the the primary traffic has slowly increased. There was never a, a huge spike in any of those early ones. Okay, and and how did you get that track that that track signed at that point? Like, kind of where were you at in your career, and how did how did you do that? I mean, did you have it all finished and then start shopping it, or yeah. or what? I uh, spent a lot of time um, just trying to figure out how to mix. I have just folders and folders of just terrible sounds that no one should ever hear. Um, where I was trying to figure out, like, well, why does this kick drum not sound, you know, like this professional track? Or why does this not sound right? So I probably spent a good part of, you know, two years just not releasing anything, just working on stuff. And uh, I finished that whole track. It was just done, that original EP. And I sent it into a whole bunch of demos, you know, just off of, I think I got it off of their SoundCloud, actually, just a, a demo submission form. Mm-hmm. And uh, it took quite a while, I think, for them to respond, but they eventually picked it up and then put it out, and that started my relationship with that particular label. Oh, cool. So you, so you had sent it to a bunch of them, or did you, like, hand-select that one in particular, or just, just kind of I went... sent it to a bunch of labels that I hand-selected. So okay. the, the thing that I think, I guess my first tip, if that's kind of what we're on, is that quantity and quality is important. So, like, I probably had a list, I still have the list somewhere, I think, of around 20 to 30 labels that I had gone through their beatport pages, and, you know, I like their releases, my sound that I want to make kind of fits in, but it wasn't like I just targeted, you know, Dimock. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, more realistic labels that still, you know, were quality, but that I felt I had a shot at. But the thing was, out of all the, the 20 or 30 that I sent those original demos off to, I only heard back, I think, from three or four. So the follow-through rate is just really low. Especially these days, there's just so much music. There's just so mm-hmm. much to sort through. So it just it took a lot of resending and just pushing stuff. Gotcha. And then uh, let's, let's move on to, uh, to your track, Drive Hard which um, I believe was the first track I heard of yours. Um, and, um, of course, that track did really well. Tell me about that one. Did that one – was that one signed as well? I, I didn't see any – That track was not signed. That track actually had a funny – kind of a funny story behind it. Okay. Just because I never thought it would be more than a whip. I did that in uh, as, like, a sketch. I just threw up, like, hey, here's what I've been working on. And that was, you know, about a minute and a half long, and I did it in – an afternoon basically and everyone was like finish this track like don't leave us hanging here so I you know spent a lot more time on it put it out and um, it just kind of it keeps getting that one really went viral and I can't really explain why there was a blog that posted about it who um, 
they claimed that I was Mord Fustang, so I think a little bit of controversy helped. Uh-huh. <laughs> thought that I was kind of like a side project or something. So yeah. a lot of people were like, this isn't Mord Fustang. Like, no, it's better. Like, it's worse. It's, uh, there's an internet <laughs> fight broke out, you know. Uh-huh. And I think that drove a lot of traffic to it originally. And then it just got picked up by uh, YouTube and a lot of, like, uh, Let's Plays and uh, video game, you know, shows, that sort of thing. They, they picked it up and used it a lot. So you get traffic from those views when people ask, you know, what's this song in the background? And they find mm-hmm. that one. So so you didn't submit it to any blogs or put it anywhere? No. Like, you just put it up, like, a, yeah. a part of it, and then yeah. people loved it, so then you finished the track, and then? Yes. I just put it up, and it just kind of snowballed. I got, I got pretty lucky, like, with that one. Mm-hmm. So you, but, I mean, you had, at least at that point, enough of a, a SoundCloud following where, you know, you put something up, you know, there's a few people in there that'll, you know, take it and run to the blogs or, or whatever. Yes, yeah. I think that's important to cultivate the sort of the grassroots community. I've never tried to push like a big marketing image or anything like that. I just try to be really genuine and so like I interact mm-hmm. with my fans and when I put something up, you know, I'll ask them like what do you think and if you like it, you can take it and do what you will and so that really worked well with that particular track. Mhm. Yeah, I saw I looked it up on on Hypem and it was, you know, it was huge. Because, um, you know, obviously Hypen keeps their history and stuff, and you can see it when it's originally up there, and yeah. Yeah, they just, it just kind of, it got ran with, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's move on to another track, still going through your SoundCloud. Um, the Enya remix. Um, yeah. That one, um, it sounds like Drive Hard, you said, went viral. Um, the listens on SoundCloud are only, you know, up around 80,000 80, or something, but you're saying obviously there's a ton of other platforms where people heard it, and this was just kind of a link back. Um, the Any Remix, you have, like, you know, over 200,000, um, you know, listens on that one. That one's a little bit more recent. Um, tell, tell me about that track a little bit. That track was done, I, um, when I first got started out, one of the, the tips that was told to me by some producers who I guess are in the position that I am in now is that uh, doing remixes like bootleg remixes that sort of thing if they're good can really help you out and that's how a lot of artists that I know who are even bigger than I am now have got their start they did you know some unofficial remixes that got picked up by you know major blogs and then they got noticed that way so the Inya bootleg um uh, the Wolfgang Gartner ones, the uh, the Pendulum, mm-hmm. those were all around where I was just trying to, to build um, a sort of groundwork, I guess, for myself like as an original artist based on kind of drawing in views on the remixes. Mm-hmm. So the Inya one, I, uh, it was another one that came together real fast because I always loved that original song and I always knew like what I would want a remix to sound like. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just scrolling through Google. I was like, no one has really done this particular track justice, you know, in my mind as far as an electro house sort of thing. And so, you know, I just said, screw it. Like, let's do it. People can judge. Like, I don't care. So, uh-huh. of course, that turned out, you know, a lot of people, I mean, the song itself was really popular, and I don't think anyone expected it, and that's the best way to do 
a remix, in my opinion, and that's why that's been so successful. I did send I did send that one off to blogs too. Mm-hmm. So um, ever since like after Drive Hard, I started just kind of keeping together a, a blog list, you know, just names of various, you know, like White River rafting and that sort of stuff that they're interested. Mm-hmm. And did did you do? I know a lot of producers, you know, say you know once someone you once you do get posted to the blogs you know, reach out to the individual person at the blog who posted it? Is that kind of what you did after Drive Hard to then, you know, moving forward, be able to do this? Yes. Uh, some of them I have reached out to and I'm still in contact with. I'll just be like, hey, thank you for posting, you know. I mm-hmm. think it's a good idea to just establish, a, like, a real connection because it's so easy to just kind of stay apart from, you know, like the Internet. You can just st- kind of stay behind a wall and I think it's important to kind of reach through and actually mm-hmm. connect with the person who cared enough to post your music. Right, right, of course. Now, uh, this, I guess this is another kind of question I had was just kind of, so it sounds like your relationships with blogs, like it wasn't like you actively engaged with them at first. It was like you had a track that got posted and then kind of went from there, correct? Yes, some of them. The original ones, like, there were two or three. It wasn't a lot. You know, you'd see tracks that come out today that every blog posts about. But there mm-hmm. were a couple that would follow me, and they would, you know, like my stuff, and I talked with them, and they would post it. And then um, the bigger blogs, I had to approach first. So I would, had to submit the demos. And a lot of them now actually have, just like labels, a, a demo email and a contact email. And so mm-hmm. a lot of the... the bigger ones I had to approach but um, mm-hmm. well, tell me tell me about that approach there um, is it just going through their demo process is that kind of all you can do um, or was there anything else you know you did reaching out to individual writers or, or anything like that uh, it kind of depends honestly on how well networked you are like if you know the writer you can probably get on a fast track a lot of those those blogs I have just done the demo submission just followed the the forms and dotted the i's and as long as you write a semi like professional sounding demo i think they'll take you a little bit seriously i never just you know underscore caps just like hey check out this dope mm-hmm. i wrote you know try to at least show some you know like i noticed you post a lot like this here's you know something that i made um a couple of times i've been able to reach out to writers that like I had a friend who knew or I had met kind of at a concert, you know, you know, just enough that I can be like, Hey, that one time you remember me? No, mm-hmm. here, here's a track. But that, that's very rare. I think that happened like once or twice. Mm-hmm. So, so like, you know, trying to find their email and reaching out to them individually with like no context, you would say is not a good idea. Uh, just blasting, just putting out the same email to like 40 blogs, I would say, is not a good idea. For the same reason that you wouldn't do that to a label, I mm-hmm. always went through and kind of handpicked the right blog for the track. You know, I wouldn't send the Inya bootleg off to like run the trap or, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to waste their time. Just like I would hope they wouldn't want to, you know, waste mine. So mm-hmm. I think showing that you care enough 
to go through their discography and be like, oh, you're a disco block. Like, I probably shouldn't, you know. Because mm-hmm. there are a lot of, I get a lot of emails even just from producers like, check out this track. And it's obviously just been blind carbon copied to mm-hmm. 7,000 people. And I think the little personal touch will just make that A&R rep scrolling through just go, oh, wait a mm-hmm. second. Kind of like in the old days, I remember uh, being told that you would walk into like Capitol Records and actually physically hand them your demo tape or something. So the little, it's like that personal touch, but in the internet era. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I guess I kind of just glaze over this, but so so you were saying, you know, going through the demo process. So was that that was effective or has been effective, um, at least to a certain extent? Yes, for me, I would say. I mean, I don't know of another way that you can really get in there without knowing people. I mean, right. I'm, in, I'm in Oklahoma, you know. There's, there is a scene here, but it's definitely not, you know, the East West Coast type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you're probably not gonna run into an A and R rep from Dimmock or something like at a a party. Mm-hmm. So for me, the demo process and doing that all has been the only way, really, for me to to get access to those venues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say that it's frustrating in a sense because the follow-through is so low, but mm-hmm. it's well worth it. Um, like, it does work. It just might work 2% of the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really, yeah, like I said, it's quantity and quality right. when it comes down to it, in my experience. Okay. Now tell me a little bit about kind of your, your approach to making music. Um, and wh- what I mean by that is, do you ever put out a track like Drive Hard or something and then say, oh, it did really well. Uh, I want, I'm going to now continue three or four more tracks of that kind of style and feel. Or do you just kind of just make whatever you're feeling at the time and experiment, um, you know? I try both ways. Um, the first way where I, I get a good track and then I'm like, I should make more of that sometimes works, but more often than, than not for me, it's a really organic process. And so I'll start out a track being like, this is going to sound like this. And then, but wait a second, you can add this and this. And then all of a sudden it sounds nothing at all like the original. And, you know, it doesn't get released because it sounds like a Whitney Houston ballad or something. So a lot of it is a sort of organic um, just the way I approach things is basically just if there's a cool idea, I'll run with it, see if it works. More more often than not, it doesn't, and so you just kind of keep going. Uh, now, there are some tracks uh, specifically like tailor-made for a purpose. So I do um, like film stuff too, so I write to picture a lot. And uh, mm-hmm. so if I get into that mindset, I can be, you know, this particular track is for this moment in a club, you know, or this particular moment is when the lights go blue and everyone, you know, if it's tailor-made for a situation, I find it a lot easier to work on a specific sound. Mm-hmm. But if it's just like here's a track and there's no real purpose... I have a hard time making it sound like something else. I see. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, your management, KPG Entertainment. 
um, you know, how, how did you get linked up with them? Um, you know, they seem to be, I, I checked out their website, they're kind of a smaller ma and pa agency, uh, unless I'm wrong. Um, you know, kind of what, how did you get linked up with them and what, what was your decision to go with them as opposed to, you know, maybe a bigger agency? Uh, well, at the start, I didn't really want management. I, um, I can still kind of do everything that I need to do, you know, myself. And I, my advice to a lot of like younger artists is that you don't need management. If you can put in the time, unless you, until you get to the point where you don't have time to make music because you're so busy, like managing your spreadsheets or whatever, then I personally don't think you need management. Um, so that's why I'm, I didn't end up going with a bigger, I didn't even really try to get on any of the bigger labels or, um, management, you know, like AM and only that sort of thing, just because I, I can still do it myself. And I always like having as much control over what I do as I can. Uh, but KPG, uh, he approached me and we talked about his philosophy and how he manages and it just, it lined up with what I wanted. And so we just kind of work really together. It's much so less of a management and more of like a, we, kind of make things happen at the same time together which is what I was really interested in instead of just being told you know all right you got 20 dates in you know May like are you ready I'm like uh sure I guess so, okay yeah gotcha gotcha okay so so he just saw what you were doing online and, and reached out to you yes yeah around the the time that all the the hypem tracks were blowing up and I was kind of that was when I started sort of sending out emails to some of the the management agencies, just seeing, you know, if they were interested, telling them, you know, I've got kind of a resume of sorts now, so what do you mm -hmm. think? And he was one of them that got back to me. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, I wanted to, I guess, now talk about your new EP, Elemental. Um, I noticed that in your posts and kind of your promotion of it, um, that you're driving traffic to your Bandcamp page. And I was just curious why, why you went with Bandcamp as opposed to, you know, Beatport or iTunes um, for, for promoting it. Uh, I have used Bandcamp for a long time, and I really like their, their philosophy, which is to basically give almost 100% of the creative control to the artists. They just act kind of as a facilitator. And while the distributor I use will put everything out to iTunes and all those places, I like Bandcamp just because of that aspect. Like iTunes takes it, and then I won't ever hear from them again. You know, it's kind of like a label. Once you've signed it and it's off, you don't know really what's going to happen to it. Mm -hmm. So Bandcamp, I was able to, you know, do pre-orders myself. I was able to enter everything correctly that I wanted to. There was no accidental misspelling of names or anything unless mm -hmm. I just messed that up myself. Then it's on me. Um, but they, yeah, I just, that's why I've always liked that website. You know? Okay. I, I know I've, I've asked or I've, I've talked to artists in the past a little bit about this and Bandcamp and other kind of, you know, like direct-to-fan uh, type uh I guess, uh, distributors or, I guess, retailers. Um, and one of the things they always mention is that they, they want the charting 
that that's on iTunes or on Beatport that you know if it gets to you know this level then it gets in the top 50 top 100 um, and stuff like that is that like ever some, something you worry about like that you're not that you're driving so much sales and traffic elsewhere well since I release stuff independently I wouldn't have a shot at the uh, Beatport charts anyway, unless I form mm. my own label, which mm. stay tuned on that note at some point. But um, so I was never too concerned about the Beatport charts. Obviously, if you play that game, it is very important. But mm. more often than not, like... I don't want my fans to pay 250 for an MP3 single, you know. So the pricing there has always kind of put me off. And um, at the same time, like, I just, I don't make that sort of music, I would say. They're sort of like, so I've, I've never, like, I've viewed myself as in competition with other, you know, Hardwell, for instance. I'd never say, mm-hmm. like, yes, we make the same sort of thing and I want to beat him at his own uh-huh. game. Um, so for me, that hasn't ever really been an issue. And Bandcamp reports that stuff to the agency that, that matters to um, the, the one that does top 40. So if things really do take off, like they're not, it doesn't just go into a vacuum. It just won't chart on Beatport. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. Um... Let's see. I wanted to ask you. I want to see. Are there any like tools you're using right now um, that you really like? Um, whether it's on, you know, whether it's an app, a software, a website they're using um, for either either on the music creation side or on kind of the the fan engagement, um, you know, side. I uh, I've really been liking, of course, Twitter and SoundCloud more than Facebook now. Facebook was great when I first started. I think mm-hmm. a lot of young artists kind of... I was on the tail end of the group that could really use Facebook to the full potential before they decided to monetize everything because mm-hmm. now you have to have a significant, you know, a really large marketing budget to be able to reach the same number of people that you could back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been trying to find the next place, and Twitter and SoundCloud seem to be a good alternative, but there are a lot of new startup companies that I um, have been kind of like beta testing. And mm-hmm. I can't any, really, any ones you can really, tell us about? I can't really talk about them. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of... of startups that are trying to design the next, you know, artist interaction page, like the old Facebook pages. So I think it'll be interesting in the next couple of years to see what crops up and and where the next artists, you know, will grow up on, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as music software goes, I, um, I do a lot in the in the box now as they call it so I use a lot of VST plugins and not mm-hmm. a whole lot of hardware because I really uh, stickler about MIDI sequencing and timing and making sure everything's you know pretty perfect um, but I've been using a lot of isotope stuff for mixing these days mm-hmm. and uh, I use a lot of massive I think a lot of uh, this most of the sense in Elemental, we're all programmed in Massive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and what else? Really, it kind of comes down to using what you know. And I would say that less is more when you're mixing. When I first started out, I was obsessed with, you know, everything needs to be the loudest and it needs to sound better than the next guy and it needs to be, mm-hmm. you know, crazy loud. But I think now I'm worried more about writing a good song, making sure that things aren't so clipped during the mastering phase that you don't even hear stuff. And that's what I would encourage, you know, someone who's trying to really break out these days is to find their own sound. Um, Cause I know I'm still working on that. And I know too, a lot of, a lot of artists have started their producing days. Like I did trying to sound, you know, trying to make the sounds that they like trying to make the songs that they've liked, but the way that they would make them. I know mm-hmm. I read an interview with Porter Robinson where he's talking about how he was writing tracks for other producers and that really like kind of spoke to me because that was how I started I wanted other people to be like that's really cool like how did you make that sound you know instead mm-hmm. of that's a good song I would like to listen to it so mm-hmm. that would be that's kind of where my head's been musically these days mm-hmm. and um, I've creating been- that, that unique sound that other producers are amazed by is what you're saying no, just trying to work on writing better songs, writing mm-hmm. more interesting music rather than making a cool sound that everyone, that's what they want to know. Mm-hmm. I'd rather people listen to the track and be like, that was a good song, rather than listen to it and say, I wonder how he made that bass patch. That's kind of where I'm at. I see. Okay, I just got a couple more questions here for you. Um this the first one is um what is what's kind of like been one of the biggest mistakes you've made um so far in your career is there anything you know that you've done that you think that you'd rather see other producers not make oh man so many god Ugh. um i would say definitely off the bat figure out your your branding um if i were to like definitely figure out who you are before you start out there because then no one will be confused <laughs> by what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. So like a good logo, some quality press picks, um, like getting all the sites up and running at once, which was my big mistake, not mm-hmm. having like, hey, here's my Facebook, and I just added a SoundCloud, and I just added, really just getting off the gate with all that stuff up and running is will put you ahead of a lot of people now, I would say. Mm-hmm. And and those are the ones you should start with: SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube too. Uh, is there are there any others? Or are those the main four you'd say? Big ones. I would say I would set up um, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, YouTube, for sure. Those four, like at least. And then if mm-hmm. you have any others that you want to add, like Google Plus or mm-hmm. some other page, yeah. But I would definitely say those big four. Because that's where the majority of at least my traffic these days is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see. I would definitely. I mean, you won't know your sound when you're first starting out. I think you just you'll always change as you get older. Um, but I would definitely say trying to figure out what you want to make before you start releasing stuff. I can't tell you how many demos I've heard that just 
sounds like a, a construction pack or mm-hmm. just a whole bunch of presets thrown together or, you know, a remake of strobe or something. So <laughs> I would say figure out what you want to make and what you want to say first, or else you'll have a, a back catalog kind of like mine where you go like a roller coaster and people are trying to figure out, well, is he this or is he this or is he that? Unless mm-hmm. that's what you're into. I don't I see. So you're saying you're saying you jumped the gun a little bit on figuring out what you wanted to yeah. sound like? Okay. Yeah. And, and did I mean I feel like there's a balance there too cuz it's like you want to figure out what your sound is but you also don't want to like as they say be a hard drive hit producer and just keep everything in like you want to get it out there and kind of get feedback um as you're figuring it out, right? Yes. I would say that I would err more on the side of only releasing what you feel is your stuff rather than releasing everything that you ever make and asking people for feedback. Mm-hmm. Now there there are places you can go to do that, you know, like um, the Dogs on Acid forums. I read a lot of like how to make D&B sounds and uh, mm-hmm. like KVR audio. There are all sorts of forums that you can post whips and it's other producers like just talking about you know well maybe you could try this or try this mm-hmm. like a lesson or a master class but putting it out in the, the public eye is a different thing I would say so by all means ask people for their opinions and, and how you can get better but maybe don't release you know some of those whips essentially you know definitely don't try to shop stuff that isn't 100% your best mm-hmm. like this if this came out and this is the only thing that people heard from you like this is what you are I see that would be my okay now is there is there something uh, that you feel you've done really well kind of throughout your career that you know another producer can look at and say hey you know I can apply this to my career as well uh I'm usually like honestly I'm usually pretty hard on myself about all sorts of things just because it can always be better. Um so that that is probably one of the things I'd say I did right is that you never want to get to a point where you're comfortable with how you're sounding. I don't think you always want to be improving, you know. You don't want to just stagnate it at some point. Um but I would guess not maybe because I did this perfectly or the best, but I would love to see more producers, I guess, write a little bit more. I know this kind of contradicts what I was saying earlier, but I'd love to hear more, you know, like a 128 BPM artist produce a, a trap song or uh, I don't, you know, a different genre of music. I don't think that your sound is bound to a tempo or a style. You know, I think you can still hear a lot of, you know, my influences and my sound in my, you know, various, because I like to change it up a lot. Mm-hmm. But I still think at the end of the day, you can hear it and go, that's probably, you know, a, a Raptor track. I hope mm-hmm. that's the idea. So mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more artists experiment more with themselves, like their sound personally I, hearing that you know having an album that comes out that's just you know 10 tracks of house bangers is just not my cup of tea 
I would mm-hmm. rather them kind of experiment and try to find their sound in a slow song or a really fast song or a you know. Mm-hmm. But keep enough of it, of their style in there yeah. that it can be distinguished as theirs. Yes. Cool. So per- personally, that's what I've tried to do, and I think that my fan base likes the sort of experimentation and the, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to get. I don't know if I'll be able to play it in a club. I don't know, you know, where it's going to be, but it will definitely be, you know, a prototype Raptor track, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, well, that's all I have for you. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Oh. Well, thank and, you for having me. Of course. All right, man. Take it easy. All right. Bye.